Welcome to the Kegel Room, a podcast for women of color to learn all the things you didn't learn about pelvic health, from sex to childbirth, pain, fitness, and then some. I'm your host, Dr. Camille Siegel, a licensed pelvic floor physical therapist. Let's get right to it. Hi, thanks for joining us in the Kegel Room today. Today, I am speaking with E.B. Afalabi, who is a pelvic floor physical therapist, a birth educator, and doula in training. Congratulations. She is the owner of the Mama's Physio in London, Ontario, in Canada, and she is a proud mama of four little babies. And today we're speaking with her about prenatal and postpartum pelvic floor. So, uh, E.B., welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks. And I also forgot to mention that we are friends. So <laughs> yes, we it's are. Nice we're secretly twins. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> yeah. are, we're like the same people, but different, but it's great it's how true. much we have yeah. in common. But exactly. I really wanted to speak to you about prenatal postpartum PT because that's really your thing. You do that quite a bit and you have a ton of experience. I mean, I work with all um, women and treat pelvic floors, but I particularly love working with the pre and postnatal population and uh, got started about eight years ago doing that. So yeah, I love it. And, you know, part of what makes us twinsies is <laughs> I also, for some reason, I think it just worked out that way that I mostly end up treating the prenatal and postpartum population too. So I feel like every pelvic floor PT or physio has their thing. You know, we all have yes. our own niche. Like some women treat dyspareunia. Some women are really good at constipation. Some are really good at this. So you're the go-to person for prenatal postpartum. So based on your experience, both personal and clinical, how has that helped you prepare for what you do being a pelvic floor physio? Yeah, that's a good question. So Personally, I would say, well, the majority of people that I treat um, are women. Now, of course, there's many different clinical populations you can treat, but I treat women. I'm a woman. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've had kids. I treat a lot of women with kids. And so from the personal point of view, I I really can understand what my clients are going through. They have pregnancy pains. I had pelvic girdle pain that was kind of progressively got worse with each pregnancy. And so, you know, struggling and managing that on my own, physios are the worst to treat themselves, right? Um, But just understanding like, oh, I can actually feel in my body what my clients are complaining about, right? Um, And coming up with different ways and strategies to treat myself um, and just doing all the reading. And then of course, pregnancy and, and childbirth and trying to understand how as a public birth physiotherapist, can I put my own knowledge to practice here in, in my births, right? And then of course, postpartum, all the, you know, the pain, the aches and pains that you have from sitting in a nursing position, like in your nursing chair for a really long time. And then just life with kids, right? Like lifting up the car seats, lifting up the strollers, all of that stuff from my personal experience has definitely helped me understand my clients a hundred percent better. And then clinically, I started off my career in orthopedic physiotherapy. So I just worked at a general sort of outpatient clinic. And like most thought, BTs end up yeah, working. Exactly. And it was okay. Like I didn't, I can't mm-hmm. say I was super passionate about it, but it was a good job. And I, I really think it was a good foundation for me to, to understand the whole body, right? Mm-hmm. Understand all the parts, how they connect, how they work together. Orthopedics is really 
the foundation for pelvic health, actually. So I'm really glad I, I, I got a good footing in that for about four years. Uh, and then I worked at a hospital um, for one year before starting my practice. And that was when I moved to London from Ottawa. And at the hospital, I worked with seniors. So that was, that was just really interesting because I saw a lot of um, people with potty problems. <laughs> and I mean, actually, in my, in my job in Ottawa, I had also worked with seniors and I did some work in retirement homes and stuff. So I really was able to see how like later in life, you know, in your 70s, 80s, and even 90s, your pelvic floor, your bladder, your rectum, like your bowels, all that stuff that you can kind of maybe get away with ignoring <laughs> when you're yeah. 20s, 30s, whatever, it catches up to you. Yeah. And like people would be spending hours on the toilet, right? Aww. Or people would need to go to nursing homes because, because they can they handle mm-hmm. their bladder and, you know, their potty issues. And so that just really motivated me even more when I got into pelvic health because I'm like people listen you're gonna get older (laughs) and this is what's gonna happen this is what's gonna happen this is I know where where the story ends if we don't take care of this problem now so clinic yeah those are some of my clinical experiences that have really shaped my my career as a pelvic floor physical therapist that's a really good viewpoint that you have that you know the personal having had four kids and having pelvic issues yourself prenatal and postpartum and your, your background before you were a pelvic floor PT, you know, one of the best, I guess, advice I would say that I got when I graduated school, because I wanted to jump into pelvic floor PT right away because of my own issues. But one advice that I got was, you know, don't rush into it. Take your time to learn all the ortho skills because it really is the foundation for pelvic oh, yeah. floor PT. Oh, because sure. as you know, pelvic PT or physio is not just about the pelvic floor, right? We do end up looking at the whole body really. Oh, for sure. And you can't really effectively treat the pelvic floor without looking outside of it. Right. So yeah, that's, that's advice I give to students as well. Like sometimes there's students at the university here who come and shadow us or they, they might want to get into the field right away. And I'm like, no, you know, it's, you, you will learn so much from working with many different clinical populations. Just get a good you know, breadth of experience first and pelvic physio will be here waiting for you when you're ready to, to specialize. So it's not going anywhere. People are still having babies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And as you experience, as we get older, Mm -hmm. the issues only get bigger too. Exactly. Oh boy. Oh, that was great experience. So I get this question a lot and I wanted to ask you, so when it comes to pelvic health, what should pregnant women or people focus on, or what should they know? And is it necessary to even do pelvic floor exercises throughout pregnancy? Yeah, those are questions I get as well. It seems like for the average person who's not really like in rehab, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they, they maybe don't know what they're supposed to be doing in terms of exercise. And there's still, although it's decreasing, some people who actually feel like exercise is dangerous, right? Like, or that women shouldn't really be doing anything during, during, during pregnancy, which is a super old, old school school of thought that just does not fly. Like none of the research evidence supports that at all. So in terms of what pregnant people should be focusing on, I would say there's, from my perspective, sort of two general focuses. Mm -hmm. The first one is just your general body, right? Like, (laughs) Do you, are you strong? Are you mobile? Are you flexible? Do you have good endurance? Are you moving on a daily basis? Um, do you have 
capacity in your body for birth because birth can be a marathon. Birth is sometimes it's quick, but especially for, you know, first time experiences, it can, it can be a while. Right. And I think in just generally in media, we'll see someone going into labor and then 10 minutes later in the movies or whatever it is, she has the baby. Like, it's not like that in real life. No, it's not. Like, at all. No. <laughs> and like, we can all laugh about it now, you and I, right? Cause we've been, yeah. but, but I wish just, it was like that. Yeah, I know. It's not what you think it's going to be. And you need your body to be in good shape, right? hundred years ago, even 50 years ago, maybe not 50, more like a hundred, right? People were on the farms. They were moving around. They were walking. They were way more active in their society than we are in our society where we sit most of the day, right? And, and childbirth is like a rigorous activity or, or event, I guess I should say. So getting your body in shape for the rigors of childbirth, would I would say that's kind of the, the first thing I would suggest. Um, I don't think they call it labor for no reason, it, exactly, right? Exactly, right? It's like it is labor. <laughs> it's hard work. Yeah, <laughs> so you should prepare work. for that. Exactly. I always tell my patients, you would never you would never plan for a marathon and then don't practice or train for right. it, right? You exactly. have to practice for the marathon. Right. You have to practice for the birth. How are you yeah. going to do that? Exactly. And I think interestingly on that note too, like a lot of I guess, depending on what circles you're in, you know, there's this whole idea of it's going to come naturally, which I actually 100% believe like in the intuition of the birthing body, if you can tap into it, (laughs) this is the thing. A lot of people can't tap into it or they're trying to learn how to tap into their bodies, into their body in that moment. Like, no, this is actually something that you can, you can be practicing. You can learn yeah. how to get more in tune with your body over time. Yes. Um, so even just mind body exercises, right? Like that's something that I'm huge on when it comes to just general preparation for birth. That's yeah. a really good point. And I think what the reason why some women aren't able to tap into that experience or they're just not able to tap into that is because there's a lot of distraction right? when you're giving birth, especially yeah. if you're in a hospital right? and you're surrounded by a million strangers right? and they're all yelling at you and telling you what to do. How right. in the world are you going to like tune that yeah. out and get within yourself to tap exactly. into your body? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's one thing when you're out in nature or something like, so I I hear the analogy of, oh, animals, they go off and they're in the woods somewhere in the dark by themselves (laughs) and make their nest and then they can birth. Yes, birth works in those, in that context, but the majority of modern birth, unfortunately, is not in that context. And so how do we, how do people train themselves, both body and mind to, despite all of that, still give birth in a way that um, where their body can tap into all that good primal, you know, power that it has. Right. So, I like that. I like that because I, I remember I watched a documentary several years ago. This was before I had any babies, but I watched a documentary on, on jaguars and how mm. the jaguar comes down from the tree. It's one of the very <laughs> few times they come down from the tree and they go underneath the tree and it's dark and they have the baby and then they climb back up in the tree. And I'm just like, I want to birth like a jaguar. <laughs> I want to go off into a cave or the darkness or under a tree yeah. with by myself and right. come back with a baby. Like, look what I did. Right. But it doesn't happen like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it can happen like that, but majority of times it's not, you know, for most women, it's, 
it doesn't happen like that for so many reasons, right? That's a whole nother issue. <laughs> and then um, just to continue answering your question here, in mm. terms of the pelvic floor, so I just was speaking about general preparation, but in terms of pelvic floor preparation, I think a lot of people have this misconception that we need to strengthen, 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 right? In fact, our whole society is kind of obsessed with strengthening yeah. and working out, right? Rather than working in and yes. um, perhaps learning other ways of functioning in our body other than just being strong. So I think when it comes to the pelvic floor, I, I rarely use the word strengthening unless I'm truly talking about strengthening. I, I like to use the word training. So mm. I think it's important to train the pelvic floor and that means it needs to be adaptable, right? It mm-hmm. needs to be able to react and be able to adapt to any situation that might arise during birth, um, whatever that looks like. And so when I work with um, pregnant women, I'm trying to train their pelvic floor connection and control coordination, the full, I want the pelvic floor to be able to move through its full range of motion, to be able to react to different situations, whether that's, you know, contracting quickly, contracting slowly. I want the clients I'm working with to understand what pressure feels like Mm -hmm. and how they can control that because that's an important piece of birth, right? And then if their pelvic floor actually needs to be strengthened, then we'll work on strengthening. I also want them to learn how to lengthen and relax their pelvic floor uh, because that's an important piece, especially for pushing face, right? Mm -hmm. You want to relax pelvic floor. That's not um, hindering (laughs) the process of of the baby being um, pushed out. So we do all of that. And I think that's where prenatal physio, pelvic floor physiotherapy is huge. And a lot of people don't know that, right? They just come afterwards. (laughs) That is true. It's really hard for me. And it sounds like it is for you to get women in the door or thinking about their pelvic floor beforehand, right? Before they go into birth. I have had an increase in patients coming beforehand. Like I just want to know what I need to do or what I, or how I can prepare my pelvic floor for birth. And I'm like, I'm so happy you're doing this. I'm actually thrilled that you're reaching out. And yes, there's so much we can talk about. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we talk about, you know, the pelvic floor being able to move through its full range of motion, how it's necessary before they give birth and after they Mm -hmm. give birth. Exactly. Because the idea is you just want a healthy pelvic floor and you want it to be able to survive the trauma of childbirth. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned before um, general exercise and movement. Is there anything specific that you recommend or are there any limits? Like what do you tell someone who's listening who's like, well, I'm pregnant and I want to exercise, but what can I do? Okay. So I think it's important to understand what's fun <laughs> for <laughs> someone because there's nothing worse than being told that you have to do exercise in a certain way and you're like, but I hate it. Well, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't care how much you want it in your head, your motivation will like tank after a week. So I try to understand what what movements does this person just naturally gravitate to? There's so many different things people can do. Honestly, it's whatever. Whatever is movement for you and that, that you're going to do, do that. That's, that's honestly like my advice. And generally speaking, like what the guidelines suggest for exercise during pregnancy is that now is not the time. Pregnancy is not the time to start some like intense, you know, exercise <laughs> routine. So yeah. if you were exercising at a moderate amount, you know, before pregnancy, then just continue that. If you were exercising at a lower amount, kind of continue that, you know, no need to like push it more. And then if you were exercising like pretty intensely and like you're into CrossFit and all that jazz, then keep doing that. Of course, I would say 
if you're going to be doing a lot of loading and impact work during pregnancy, it's a really, 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 really good idea to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist in just to make sure that your pelvic floor is handling that okay. And I try. It does change so much. It does. Pregnancy, what you may have been able to handle, you can't touch during pregnancy. Right. For some. Yeah. And people do need to be mindful about modifications, right? So as they get bigger, you're, like you said, your body's changing. So you might not have the same capacity or it might just look different. So yeah, it's good to work with either a pelvic floor PT or like a really knowledgeable pre and postnatal trainer who's, who understands pelvic floor. Yeah. Now, tying in pelvic floor and exercise if someone's doing exercise do you normally teach them to do pelvic floor exercises during their exercise their regular exercise like if someone likes yoga or someone does crossfit are you teaching them to you know is there a carryover with that pelvic floor exercises the lengthening and the or the training in general as you call it I think it depends on specifically what we're trying to do with the training of for the pelvic floor. I also think though that if people already have a regular movement practice or exercise that they do and they don't ever miss it, then that is a really good time to pair pelvic floor work with that because then they're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the end if it's at the end of their session or whatever, I might just kind of tag that on for 10 minutes or something like that so that it gets done. Um, so yeah, I, I do try to do that. I just wanted to see if we're all on the same boat. Yeah, yeah I, I usually do that too. Because pelvic floor exercises, people don't realize, is very boring. Yeah. It's so yeah. boring. So if you do it with something that you enjoy, yeah. then hey, you're getting a two for one. You're getting your regular exactly. workout and you're getting your pelvic floor exercises done. And exactly. I tell them similar to like, it doesn't have to be throughout the entire process. It may right. be just during these five minutes or just at right. the end or in the beginning or just during these four particular right. moves that you're doing. It doesn't have yeah. to be the whole thing as long as you get it in there some way. And then you no. Know, check that box, did my pelvic floor exercises and did my CrossFit or yoga or whatever it was. Related to pelvic floor, what about the abdominals? Is it necessary to have a strong or strong abdominal muscles? Another question people (laughs) ask all the time and they Mm -hmm. say, well, don't you need strong abdominals to push the baby out? So again, there's so many ideas about birth that are based in myth and based in movies <laughs> or whatever like we're all collectively watching and the whole idea of pushing right when you think about pushing you're someone's pushing with all their might they're like you know eyes are popping out their veins are like <laughs> bursting in their heads and you can see that they're generating massive amounts of force and pressure through their abdominal wall to push that baby out right mm. So this is like our collective understanding of what it means to push. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. And so, of course, it follows that people would think, I need to have really strong abdominals for this. <laughs> but <laughs> physiology actually says that you don't really need strong abdominals to push a baby out. In fact, people who are unconscious can have babies. They're not activating their abs when they're unconscious, right? Nope, they are um, not. Your uterus does the work of pushing the baby out. And the best thing you can do is let your uterus, presuming it's healthy and functioning and not tired and all that, it's like all good, right? Yes. Is to let your uterus do its job. This is in a physiological birth. Now in a birth with perhaps an epidural, where which happens a lot, of course, depending yes. on what, what center you're in or what country you're in, where you don't have that biofeedback into your own system about what you're feeling and how much you're pushing and all this stuff. A lot of people, they need 
someone to kind of guide them, right? And they they are often told to push as hard as they can. And so they will kind of try as much as they can to activate their abs. In that situation, maybe some abdominal activation would be helpful, right? If their uterus is just not maybe functioning as effectively as it as it would perhaps without an, an epidural, right? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I think my, my point is that you don't have to have super strong abs to push a baby out. And there's so many other ways that you can advantage yourself biomechanically, right? So if you are sort of lying on your back, again, the classic position that we see in a lot of movies and whatnot, and that not just movies, but real life. <laughs> right? Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, yeah. it happens in real life. Yeah. Like if that's your birthing position, um, you know, and you need a bit more power to, to, you need to generate more power in order to get that baby out because the position's maybe not as optimal. Well, then yeah, you might need to call on your abdominal wall to help. I think it's important that we, we respect the intelligence of our bodies. Our brain is so involved and without us really having to think about it, when it comes to motor recruitment, when it comes to selecting which muscles are going to work and how strongly they're going to work, right? So in the case of physiological birth, someone's abs might be involved, but they don't have to think about it. Their brain just like gets their abs involved to the degree that it needs to be involved. And so I think, again, just if we're overthinking it, then we can end up over pushing. And that can end up being a a not so great situation for the pelvic floor. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a a ton of sense. And to go back to your point with the epidural and not having that biofeedback, I often teach my clients and patients to practice the push, which isn't really that much of a push when they're having a bowel movement because it's similar idea. Yeah. You want to relax the pelvic floor while you let your abdominals or the contents of your abdominals, essentially your organs, do the work. Right? Right. So when you're having a bowel movement, it's your colon that's doing the work yeah. and you want to relax your pelvic floor. I teach the coordination of that yeah. so that when they are giving birth, that they have an idea of how much force is necessary because it's really yeah. that, not that much because as you mentioned, it's not the abdominals that's doing the work, it's the right. uterus that's doing the work. So yeah. if you allow the body to do what it needs to do and you're not fighting against that, then it's not going to be that hard. That's the other thing too that, that you've brought to mind now is when like the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall are so intimately connected when someone has a a verbal cue to like push as hard as you can, right? Usually what they end up doing is tightening their pelvic floor muscles. They're tightening everything because they don't realize they're maybe tightening, but like squeezing everything, their abs or pelvic floor. Well, now you're going to have to work harder to overcome that resistance that was just created in the pelvic floor by the tension that was put in there Mm -hmm. by that cue to push as hard as you can. So it is super important to, to, for people to learn that, pelvic floor relaxation piece while at the same time activating their abdominal wall gently. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be very much. It's so um, small. <laughs> yeah. To, to assist, you know, the, the process. And that takes training. I, I feel like I spend quite a bit of time discussing this when, mm-hmm. you know, when I see uh, people on preparing for birth, I spend a lot of time on this because if you can get through this, 
mm-hmm. properly, you're going to minimize your chances of tearing. You're not going to end up bluing the face. You're not going to have broken blood vessels. I can't tell you how many women come to me and they're like, I had broken blood vessels all in my face. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. Why? Oh. And they said, push as hard as I can. Right. I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't take that much. And then I show them what they can do. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, oh my God, that's it. I'm like, yeah, but it's okay. Now yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you know. Exactly. Yeah. So leading to or related to that tears, do you recommend perennial massage? And for anyone that doesn't know, a perennial massage is is a way of preparing the pelvic floor for a vaginal birth. Do you recommend it? So, yes. Short answer. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for the first time vaginal births. Yeah. Um, I actually did a little bit of research into this question mm-hmm. because I wanted to make sure I'm talking about the most recent evidence. And um, basically there are two different ways to do perineal massage. There's perineal massage in like starting at week 35 leading up to birth. Mm -hmm. And then there's perineal massage during birth that a midwife or your OB um, can perform. So the first type of perineal massage, um, the one that you do starting around 35 weeks, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of clear directions or guidelines in the research. So people just kind of give their own advice about that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really sure why there's no consensus, but there isn't. But generally, people say start around 35 or 36 weeks. Yeah. Do it at least once a week, you know, at the minimum, right, for around five to ten minutes. Okay. There's been different research over the last ten years, and it's all completely mixed, completely mixed. And But those studies, some of them were not the highest, you know, quality studies. Some of them were really – looking more at like episiotomy rate than anything else. Basically, the outcomes are mixed for how beneficial it is, depending on which article you read and when it was published. But I did find one that was published in May, so just two months ago, May 2020. Mm -hmm. It was a randomized control trial. So that's one of the highest levels of research evidence out there. And I'll just read what its conclusion was. It said, women who received prenatal perineal massage had significantly lower incidence of episiotomies and perineal tears, and particularly a lower risk of third and fourth degree perineal tears. So that's all awesome. Also, this uh, RCT concluded that there was better wound healing and less perineal pain in the group that had performed um, perineal massage prenatally. And it also said, this is really interesting to me, that prenatal perineal massage reduced the second stage of labor and uh, fecal incontinence. So I'm just like, hey, that's the most recent RCT. I'm going with that. Amazing. (laughs) The previous studies did sort of show it was mostly protective of perineal tears and trauma for first time, which makes sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense. I still recommend it to pretty much all Right. Patients, <laughs> because although you know research is nice, but sometimes there are outliers. And what if they are the outlier? And doing a perineal massage, there's really no harm in doing it if it's going to reduce your chances of of tearing and pain and incontinence. Wouldn't you want that? Oh, for sure. <laughs> and that's the other thing too. Like I get the research and everything, but also I'm thinking about the the somatic experience of the person, right? So just from that perspective, like what are we doing when we are doing perineal massage? We're doing a number of things. We're priming your nervous system to get used to something down there, right? Um, A stretch force, 
and familiarizing your body and your brain with what that sensation feels like so that come childbirth, it's not so much of a threat to your system because you've felt it before. And when you're not feeling threatened or tension, or, or sorry, when you're not feeling threatened, you're less likely to respond in tension, right? If you know what a stretch feels like, you're not going to tighten up and react to that unpleasant stretching sensation. Um, so not only does it improve the compliance of the tissues in terms of flexibility and whatnot, it actually helps to reset your nervous system to know what to expect and what it's going to feel like. And for me, like that is worth a million bucks. Um, whether you're first time, second time mom, doesn't matter. So yeah, it's totally worth really it. Good point. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can totally see that. It's definitely beneficial for sure. I mean, we've discussed in other podcasts too, how the pelvic floor responds to fear and threat and stress and yes. how it essentially contracts and it creates more tension. And if the idea is to birth a baby, your pelvic floor needs to be relaxed in order to do that. So, yeah. So yeah. So I guess there's the benefits of a perennial massage goes beyond just reducing the chances of tearing. Yeah, exactly. It's just overall beneficial to do. Yeah. So let's say that some things do happen during the birth. What are some things that can happen, that pelvic floor PT can address. So other than like tearing, so we know that the pelvic floor can tear during the birth with or without perennial massage. It, mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just something that can happen. Pelvic floor PT can help with that. But what are some other things that you can directly treat that can be a direct result of, of the birth experience, the trauma, essentially? Okay. Okay, so so different things that can occur during birth, like, I mean, it, it could be varied, but and and some of it can be medical. That's kind of outside of our scope, of mm-hmm. course, um, or emergency things that we can't really control or or really change. Um, but in terms of things like the biomechanical piece, the muscle, like the yeah, the muscle piece and breathing. Things like that, those, those are all within our comfort zone as pelvic floor PTs. Yeah. So if there's a situation where the baby doesn't seem to be necessarily um, navigating well through the birth canal for whatever reason, um, that's to me a biomechanical thing, right? Unless, of mm-hmm. course, there's an, some sort of emergency situation. So we want to understand that this is a birthing pelvis, like the, the, the baby needs to navigate the pelvis. And we know how the pelvis moves. We know how it functions. We know what keeps, can kind of open it, what can close it, um, different ways to position the legs and the person's body in such a way where we can facilitate a better passageway and more open passageway um, for the baby to pass through. So understanding like what's going on in terms of pelvic biomechanics is a real strength, I think, of pelvic floor PTs. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that reminds me of an article I came across and I don't know if it was, you know, like a big, large study. It may have just been one chiropractor and it was just the effect of having a chiropractor present during a birth experience. and. Cool you know, the outcome was that it was more beneficial. There was less intervention because the chiropractor was able to get the birthing mom in different positions and help with pain relief during the actual birth and and even the laboring um, part. 
and it was just an overall positive experience. And they always wondered, what if there was a pelvic floor PT in the room yes. yeah. during birth? You know, we understand positions and I teach and I teach this and you probably teach this too. Like here are some different positions to try. Here's why you want to avoid this. Here's how you're going to breathe. Here's, you know, here are all these things to try. What if we were just there with them? Right. Seriously. That'd be really cool. That would be. I, I, I know that. I wonder if. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> done it. <laughs> well, but you're going to be training. You're training as a doula. I'm training as a postpartum doula right now. Postpartum um, doula. I and see. that's just because of my life. I can't commit to Four that. children. Yes. I know. <laughs> Doulas have to just pick up and go and go yeah. help the birthing mom. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it would be amazing if I'm sure there are, there are pelvic floor PTs who are, are doulas and probably for this reason, because being yeah. a doula allows them to then be in the birthing room exactly. and they can assist yeah. the patient where yeah. here, getting this position, try this, put your leg this way, breathe this way. Yeah. You got it's, me thinking. <laughs> well, that's something I, I, I do want to do. And, if, and I also remember um, an experience I just read about with one of my colleagues here in another city in Ontario who mm-hmm. um, attended a birth and her client kept saying to the doctors or nurses, like, oh, my doula's coming, my doula's coming. When she got there, you know, she was kind of getting the cold shoulder from, <laughs> from the hospital staff and Aww. I don't know what their perception of doulas was, but I don't yeah. think it was very positive. But then she introduced herself as a physio, right? A public physio and like complete 180. And huh. People, you know, the nurses were like trying to learn from her and, and like, you know, thanked her at the end of the birth, like for being present and all of her knowledge. And I just feel like it's not that I don't, I don't know what it is. And I, I, maybe this is just this hospital. I don't know, but it's, I think we can perhaps a bit more respect, unfortunately, is given to physiotherapists, uh, as opposed to doulas, I don't know why that is. It shouldn't be that way. I truly love doulas. In fact, like Me we too. know what the research says about doulas, that mm-hmm. you're more likely to have a positive birth experience if you have a doula. Yeah. That's like the most protective for your perineum and everything else. So, yep. you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of doulas. As that and you mentioned birth. before that they can assist in uh, the perineal massage during the actual birth. Doulas, I don't think doulas can do that, but oh, um, midwives and OBs. But I think midwives and OBs can. Got it. Yeah. I wonder if PTs who mm. are doulas would be able to yeah. assist in that. I mean, after all, we do treat right the damage right. <laughs> done to exactly. vaginal tears or an episiotomy. We do treat that if we yeah. can preventatively, you know, preventatively yeah. treat that. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. So. Someone does have issues during their birth, right? They tear, they have an episiotomy, they end up with pain, something. Something happens during their birth experience. How soon is too soon to see a PT? Does that even exist? <laughs> it's never too soon. Like, right. you should have seen them yesterday. As far as <laughs> if you're listening and you've not seen your pelvic PT, like, pick up the phone. <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> Okay. So day one, day one. Seriously, day one. It's on, okay, first of all, it's never too late. So if you haven't seen a PT, mm. like don't get down on yourself. Just, you know, it's really never too late. Um, but, but really, like I would love to see people, um, maybe not on day one, because there's been a lot going on, but I'd say day two, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, like day two for sure when you're discharged home from the hospital and you don't have the nurses anymore, 
it's okay to have a, a pelvic PT come to your home or do a virtual, you know, call and learn about all the things that are going to happen between day two and mm-hmm. six, week six, right? Yeah. Usually yep. you're saying at week six, for sure, you need to come in and get your pelvic floor and abdominal wall checked. Mm-hmm. At your, we have something called the six-week po- postpartum checkup. And it's my like goal in life that like this is just going to be a standardized part of yes. our healthcare system in Canada. It's not, and it really needs to be. Um, but still, like there's tons that can happen in those first six weeks, right? Absolutely. So when I'm seeing people postpartum before, the, before they come in at their six-week checkup, I'll go to their home. Um, I'll talk about so many things, like their pain. How is their perineum healing? And what are they doing to facilitate the healing of the tissues? Let's talk about contracting the pelvic floor. That just got super stretched out. <laughs> we need to establish reconnection here. And what, does that, what should that feel like? We'll talk about breastfeeding or bottle feeding. Like you are pulling hours and hours and hours on end per day in these awkward positions. Like that shows up as pain in your back and your neck and your arms and Let's talk about positioning and biomechanics and postures and, and how to like support yourself and your, your tissues. We'll talk about breathing. People's rib cages expand, right? Um, when they're pregnant and then they, their breathing pattern changes. And sometimes it doesn't really go back to what it was before, or they yeah. can, can kind of continue with like a non-optimal breathing pattern, which we know is very important for pelvic floor function and everything else. We'll talk about abdominal support. Like, are your abs super overstretched? Do you have a diastasis recti? Is that, do you have a lot of weakness in your abs? How's your back? And so are there ways that you can support your abdominal wall in this, you know, six week phase of initial healing? We'll talk about transferring, just how to get in and out of bed, right? Especially if someone had a cesarean or something, how can you like walk around? What is an appropriate amount of activity that's appropriate for you as an individual to be doing postpartum? It's not the same for everybody. So just because your friend was able to like walk 10 blocks or something during week three doesn't mean you can do it. Yep. Don't Uh, beat yourself up. (laughs) No, don't beat yourself up. And, and just how to, how to sort of navigate your new body in which you find yourself, especially for first time moms. So there's so much that can be done in those first six weeks before even doing any kind of internal public floor assessment. I agree. And it's nice when clients and patients come to see you prenatally because you can sort of give them a heads up about these things, but it's sort of in one ear and out the other because they're just focused on the birth, right? And then after the birth, it's it's just, there's a lot of overwhelm and they sort of forget things, but it's still nice to come back and be like, Hey, remember when we did this? Here it is. And feel how different it feels now that baby's not there. Your uterus is smaller. You can actually breathe better. (laughs) It just feels different. (laughs) Contract your pelvic floor. Does not feel different? How about your abdominals? Doesn't that feel way different? But it's sort of a good reminder when they did come prenatally, picking that up immediately postpartum. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't come prenatally, as you mentioned, it's never too late. I remember Mm -hmm. one patient, I was actually treating her C-section scar. It was 20 years old. I mean, we weren't, we weren't going to break up scar tissue, but it was attaching to her bowels and giving her bowel problems and her back Mm -hmm. and giving her major back pain. So we Mm -hmm. had to work on that. And she was so surprised that it was her C-section from 20 years ago. Right. That was wow. affecting yeah. her function today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's never too late. Once postpartum, always postpartum. That's what I say. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So 
let's say that someone didn't come to see you prenatally and maybe they're not sure when is a good time to reach out to a pelvic floor PT. What are some warning signs that they should look out for in that postpartum period that would sort of indicate to them that they need to see someone? Good question. So I believe that our bodies talk to us all of the time. (laughs) And most of the time we're too busy to be paying attention. We're running around or we just don't understand the language of our body. And um, the language of our body is through signs and symptoms, right? And ignoring those things actually makes your body talk louder because your body's trying to get your attention. So it's really good idea to pay attention and not ignore it because <laughs> it ain't going to go away, right? That's funny. That's, That's the lesson I teach my children. I teach my <laughs> yeah. children that. I'm like, if your body is trying to tell you something and you're not listening, it's just going to yell. Yeah. <laughs> and and you that, don't want it to yell at you. No, you don't want your body yelling at you. That never nope. looks good. Um, so, so some symptoms that people should pay attention to and not ignore are pain, right? Pain is something that we can kind of just ignore or power through or I'm too busy or whatever, I'll deal with it later. Whether that's more constant pain or more intermittent with certain activities, pain is never really a good sign. And it's your body trying to tell you something that, you know, that needs to be paid attention to. So ongoing perineal pain, for example, or pain in your lower abdominal wall from your C-section or back pain, something like that. Now, that being said, in the first six weeks of postpartum recovery, I mean, your body's just trying to find itself again. So you're going to, you're going to feel weird things, right? Um, if it persists beyond like that six to eight week mark, when the tissues are supposed to be healed, right? Then that's when we really want to be like, okay, it's time to go and, and do something about this, right? Don't wait yeah. till it's 10 or 20 years down the road. Um, so in the first six weeks, yeah, things are going to feel weird. Hopefully you've worked with a public floor PT beforehand so you have some strategies Um, but don't freak out if like you're week five and you still have a little bit of discomfort right if you're into like past your fourth trimester and stuff is still bothersome then you need to go get checked Um, and other symptoms are heaviness uh, or a sense of pressure or tension that lives in the vagina the vulva the pelvic floor um, that maybe wasn't there before a feeling of maybe burning or just irritation in the tissues if there's any leaking of urine or gas or stool, especially past like that six week mark, again, those are, those are symptoms. Pain during intercourse, the first you know, few times might be a bit uncomfortable, but it should be generally getting better with insertion of the penis or whatever, as opposed to, as opposed to like remaining. Oh, hurting. All right? yeah. Other signs include like changes in your physical function. So let's say before baby, you were able to lift, I don't know, let's say you were into weight training or something and you could lift 150 pounds, right? Okay. You might not get there right away and it takes time to build back up. I wouldn't suggest trying to do that in your fourth trimester or anything, but just if you are continually performing at a lower level than you were before, that's something worth checking out because that might be just an issue of core dysfunction or some sort of coordination thing, or maybe you have a diastasis recti. Maybe you just need to learn how to use your core better again, in addition to also just getting stronger. So yeah, things like changes in your physical capacity, right? Um, Or if you're running and you're finding you just can't go quite as far and you're like a year out or something or two years out from childbirth and things are just not back to normal, get that checked out. 
bulging in the abdominal wall with a curl up. That's sort of a classic sign of a diastasis recti. Any sort of scar tissue, if you just have a scar, go and make sure that you of any sort, whether that's right. from a tracheotomy, whether that's from a C-section or some sort of surgery you had, go and see someone. And then another yeah. thing that I, I just want to end with is if you have some sort of reluctance or fear or aversion almost to like touching your body, right? Touching your pelvic floor, looking at your pelvic floor, touching your scar, whatever it is, that just is a sign, right? That there's some sort of emotional stuff around your birth experience that's not really been dealt with. And emotional and mental, like mental and psychological stuff, they can manifest in your body, especially around the pelvis. There's just a lot of stuff going on there with our emotions and things. And so, I mean, a physiotherapist may or may not be the appropriate healthcare professional. You might need some, perhaps like a counselor or something like that, but it's still worth exploring. Like, why do I have problems with like touch of my own body in this area? Is that something that maybe a physical therapist, maybe in addition to someone else can help me with? So yeah. yeah, those are my thoughts. And I think too, if someone is having emotional emotional uh, disconnect with their body, oftentimes that can develop into a physical disconnect oh, yeah. and lead to pain. Or yeah. it could be the other way around. You know, the pain mm-hmm. becomes chronic and then yeah. results in the emotional disconnect. I mean, it's a you know, chicken or the egg, which came first kind of thing, but they're usually linked. Anytime there's a physical, a chronic physical issue, there's an emotional component to it as well. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, I really think that pregnancy and postpartum presents a great opportunity for a lot of people because I think for a lot of women, I'll speak about women anyways, there is so much even before they have babies and stuff, right? There's a disconnect there or shame or some sort of trauma or something, right? That's kind of happened way before they had kids. And then afterwards, right? There's this big event that happens in that area that they've been kind of disconnected from um, for one reason or the other. And then postpartum, like you go to see a public PT. So many of our clients say like, wow, I wish I had learned about my own body how it works, like my own body parts, my anatomy, and like how it's supposed to function, how it's supposed to feel, how it's okay, and it's healthy and beautiful. And all like, I wish I had learned about that stuff way beforehand, right? And then our older clients, the ladies who come to see us who are in their, you know, 50s and 60s and in menopause and stuff, like they just feel so sad that they did not have this help when they were our age, right? Yeah, I know. So the times are changing. So that's really great. My goal is for (laughs) care to start much earlier and earlier. You know, it would be great if our young daughters would know as much as we know now. And I hope, I hope that's the case with all of my patients. Mm -hmm. Most of my patients have children. Most of them do. And I always remind them, remember your children have pelvic floors too. And their pelvic health is just as important as yours. So you being here and learning all this wonderful stuff about Mm -hmm. your body, you can then take it and teach them about their body too. And so that there's no shame around it. So they know what's normal, what's not normal. And when an issue does come up, they know who to go to. Right. Oh, that's so, so important. And that's one thing, like, I I don't, I'm not that old. Okay. I'm going to be 37 next week. 
<laughs> so that's not that old. Although I keep telling myself I'm getting closer to 40, but whatever, 40s are going to be fabulous. <laughs> fabulous 40. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Um, but I have a, a daughter, my oldest, I have two daughters. My older of my two daughters is, she's five and like, she's watching me, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, first of all, this is freaking me out because I don't want to mess up, right? <laughs> but of course I mess up and I, I hope that, you know, she'll extend some grace. But but she, we, we talk very openly, like yes. about bodies in our house. Like yep. we really growing up in my own house, it was not, that was not the case. There were so many layers. Like my parents were from a different generation, right? They were mm-hmm. from a different culture, mm-hmm. right? Like, a, and they were like very conservative, right? Like from West Africa, right? They were from just a different era. And, and also like, you know, our faith, we, we were from a conservative faith as well. And so all of that combined to basically make my experience growing up talking about anything body, like I'm talking about like my vagina and like pelvic yeah. floor and all that, like that part of your body, um, as like super taboo. Don't talk about it. Hush, yep. hush, a lot of shame. And pelvic floor physiotherapy for me has been a healing journey in yep. to undo so much of that sort of unintended damage, I guess you could say that my parents, you know, well, I have a lot of, you know, forgiveness and grace for them because we'll all mess up as parents. But, you know, I don't think they knew what they were doing, right? No, it was totally um, unintentional. No, but I'm like, okay, for the next generation, I'm not going to do that. And yeah. so my daughter the other day, she likes to play. She she just wants to have babies. So she has all these Aww. stuffed animals. And she like, you know, she gave birth to one of the stuffed animals named Sarah a couple oh weeks ago and now Sarah like keeps getting older and having all these milestones. And like <laughs> she talks about how the, the most recent conversation I had with her about giving birth was just like, mom, I want to tell you Sarah's birth story. I went to oh my the gosh. That's adorable. I know. She's like, the midwife told me that I was going to have the baby today. And so I got into the birth pool <laughs> and then I felt something, mom. And I felt the baby in my vagina. Oh my God. The baby came out. And I, so as I'm hearing this, I'm laughing to myself. I'm like, wow, birth is so normalized to this girl. Like, right. this I'm so happy. I'm That's so happy. fabulous. That sounds she That's can so use the great. word vagina and, you know, she doesn't think of it as a bad word. And so yeah. I'm feeling good about that, you know? Yes. My daughter is three, going to be four, and, and we differentiate vagina and vulva because yeah. they're not the same. And right. we openly talk about it. My son, my oldest is, you know, a son. And we openly talk about every body parts is just a normal conversation yes. in our yeah. house because yeah. I, yeah, I want it to be normalized because similar upbringing. And I think that's the case for a lot of different cultures, especially black cultures, because mm-hmm. other countries are very, very into religion and we don't talk about vaginas and we right. don't look and we don't touch right. and yeah. keep it to yourself. Right. No one needs to know kind of thing. So right. I'm glad that we're, we're, you know, taking it a step further and normalizing right. it. I also agree that being a pelvic floor PT is was healing for me because I openly talk about everything now and I have no right. shame in it. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> there shouldn't be. There yeah. is no shame around your body and there yeah. should not be. But yeah, exactly. it is what it is. So this has been great. So you do a lot. You work with a, a very wonderful and my also favorite population as a pelvic floor physio, but it is very emotional and, and very heavy work as well. So what do you do to sort of overcome and offset all of that heaviness and all the work that you do for self-care? I was thinking about this question and 
I, I actually feel pretty energized. Like I get, I get my energy from other people. Like I'm an extrovert. Mm. So when I, and I love what I do. So yes, it can be heavy for sure. But for the most part, I just, I feel really happy. Like I'm in my happy place when I'm working with this population and when I can put my energy into that. That being said, I need to learn how to slow down. <laughs> I'm like the energizer bunny and it's probably not very healthy or balanced. Um, so I don't think I do enough for self-care in this season of my life. And that's something I'm working on. I'm really learning more about mindfulness and what it means to live in the present moment because I'm always living somewhere else in my head. I'm either living in the past or the future. I can enjoy the present for all of its gifts when I'm somewhere else in my head. So I'm really trying to work on cultivating just mindfulness, you know, being present with my family, being present with my kids, looking at them in the eyes when they're, you know, when they're trying to tell me a story, spending time with them. Like we go on little dates and stuff like that. I, I love music. That's a part of my life that I was super into. Like I actually thought I was going to become a musician at one point um, in my life. Yeah. I played a, a lot of different instruments and was in a lot of different choirs and stuff. And so that part of myself has kind of like died off after university. <laughs> oh, no. So I'm like, I'm trying to resurrect that and um, express myself more creatively through music. And then just going for coffee with a friend, pre-COVID anyways. <laughs> now yeah, it's just yeah. like virtual coffee or whatever cheesiness <laughs> with, with friends. Um, but just a good chat with a friend over a cup of tea. All of that mm-hmm. is great. That sounds good. I, you know, I never thought of, the difference between introverts and extrovert, like I'm a complete introvert. So, but but I do enjoy, I really do love my job and I love what I do. And I love being a pelvic floor PT and I love helping people. But for me, it is draining because Mm. I am an introvert. Okay. interesting. End of the day, I love my job, but I'm an introvert. So it's draining for me. I never would have guessed that by the way. Really? I am. I, you know, we're twinsies, but I am an introvert. You're the introverted side of me. Okay. I am. I really am. So I need, it's really important for me to have self-care. And I've been learning that more and more being a mom and a business owner and a PT, it was something that was just like, this is just something that I did all day, every day when I was single. But now that I have to manage so much, I have to put more effort into it, a lot Mm -hmm. more effort into it because it is it is emotionally draining for me, but yeah, I think so how, with how anyone in any job, it's important to have self-care. It, it just is. You need, we all need yeah. it. Thank you for sharing so much good information, your expertise and your honesty. You're welcome. This was a lot of fun. My extroverted side is like really happy right now. <laughs> I'm chatting with you. So thank you for having I'm me. I'm glad I can help. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure and I'm already thinking of other things we need to talk about, but we'll save that for another time. But thank you so much for spending your evening with me. You are so welcome. Thank you for this opportunity. Thanks for joining us in the Kiku Room this week. Be on the lookout for new episodes every other Tuesday on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts subscribe, rate, or leave us a message. And as always, share with a friend or two. Until next time, sisters, may your pelvic floor be healthy and strong, just like you. Peace.